everyone welcome back to mentor musings i've got jc and brett here with me as always hi gentlemen good morning hey dennis good morning good morning all right so this is part three of our three-part series in the first part we talked about why you should or shouldn't go into business in the second part we talked about go-to-market strategies for b2b and b2c and this one, we're going to drill down a little bit more on uh, the sales part of your business. And JC and Brett, they both have different ideas, but very similar because B2B and B2C do have similar strategies. But both men are highly intelligent and very, very good at what they do. So listen in on these two gentlemen talk about sales. It's because we listen to other people and their ideas as well. <laughs> Very true. Right. Yeah, we just, we basically steal everybody else's good stuff and turn it into our own. That's exactly. Or I like at least refine our thinking, right? Be open to, <laughs> to new ideas. And yeah, it, it's an, this is a really interesting topic to me because, again, I grew up kind of in the B2B sales space, but doing my other podcast where I brought some science into the sales, like David Premier talks about, right, how what, what the science of selling actually looks like. And how it's changed, right? It's a lot of psychological. It's it's getting into the minds of your customers, but at the end of the day, it's still building that relationship. And so, maybe what I'll touch on quickly is in the early days of a founder thinking, "Hey, I'm not a salesperson. There's no way I can do this." And I think you got to change that mindset. You know, I, I joke that sales finally caught up to me because I was never the used car salesman, right? I'm not a high pressure. Do this, do this, do this now. Discount. I'll give you 10% off. You sign today. That's not me. And and frankly, that wouldn't work today anyway. And the, the way I like to frame it is, look, you're, you're solving a problem for your potential customers, right? And they've got a pain point. Hopefully, as we talked earlier, you've identified a big enough pain point and a costly enough pain point that your solution is going to solve it. And at the end of the day, there's a cost to solving that problem. And this is what we charge you know, to solve that problem. It's overly simplistic, but I think we lose sight of the fact of what, what selling actually is. And if you're providing a value and you truly believe in what your product or service is doing, it's just got a price tag with it. So I think sometimes founders really get caught up in the, the pricing of this, um, not even with the pricing, but asking for the deal or charging for the deal and that's uncomfortable. And so I think the earlier in the process you get to, hey, it's just, I'm providing a value and this is what this value costs in order to do this. And if you don't like it, or it doesn't work for you, you know, no harm, no foul, easier said than done <laughs> when you're, you're scrambling in the early days. But I think taking that approach and understanding that and not thinking of it as sales will help you with the mindset that's going to allow you to have better conversations, better listening, and we can get all the other tactics. But I think that's the biggest one is just a mindset shift on it. You're not selling, you're providing value, and there's a cost for that value. Yeah, um, I would completely agree with that. And it's, by the way, a, a lot of what Brett and I are going to talk about are going to apply both to B2B and B2C. Uh, one example of this is exactly what Brett said, which is, you know, when you're making these initial sales, a lot of times you're not so much selling your solution, you're kind of evangelizing or championing a problem, right? Um, and, and, and a lot of sales, whether it's with direct-to-consumer or, you know, businesses, starts with making sure that you're framing the problem for them correctly. Right. Um, and, and so one of the general things that I always talk about for founders um, that, that I work with is, look, there are three types of sales, right? These are the three types of sales, pretty much every industry sector, B2B, B2C, doesn't matter. There are direct sales. That's where your customer has a specific awareness of a problem and wants a specific solution to that problem. And you offer that specific solution, okay? Direct. Consultative sales, 
that's where your customer has an awareness of the problem, but they are unsure or open to a myriad of solutions that could solve that problem. A lot of times they can be very different, right? Um, and then the third and, and probably the hardest, but also the most powerful form of sales are, are disruptive sales or what can be called insight selling. That's where their customer comes to you and has a problem um, and is looking for, you know, kind of like in the consultative scenario, a, a myriad of solutions, but you disrupt their thinking and actually change the problem altogether. And it, it can go beyond just reframing the problem in a different way. I mean, literally completely disrupting their level of thinking like, hey, yes, that is important, but actually there's a different problem that you need to focus in on. And maybe that, you know, the problem that you're looking at is, is, is sort of a, under the umbrella of this other problem that you're gonna present. Um, all three are viable, but I think before you engage in selling and helping frame the problem like Brett was talking about, <clears throat> understanding are, are you gonna be engaging in more direct, consultative or potentially, you know, disruptive sales is gonna be really, really important. Yeah. And I'll just add on to that because I think a simple phrase again, but different is better than being better, right? You cannot convince a customer you're better. Do not compete on price, right? If your solution is your only advantage is you can do it cheaper, eh, you're not going to win. If you got to find out what that differentiator is, which is your disruptor, right, JC, it's, it's got to be why, because the other thing I'll add on to that. So you have to be different, but I'd say eight out of 10 times when you're pitching a customer or a prospect, most of the time they do nothing, right? It's not like they're going with a competitive product. So you're not only competing against who else is in your space, but it's also the customer not changing the way they're doing things. So I think there's a, that's an important distinction because, hey, I, my, I know your technology can change it, but my spreadsheets are working just fine, right? I don't need to invest. And so I think it's having that broader, why this is different, why it's so important to solve this problem. And then, you know, understanding the, the benefit, not only going head to head with competitors is to do nothing is your biggest enemy most of the time. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, too, you know, the way that I'll phrase it uh, with with founders and entrepreneurs that I work with is, is your customer initiated into your problem or are they uninitiated? Right. And by the way, the, the, those two on a spectrum exist in every marketplace. Right. Um, and, and, and so when you're engaging and thinking about, OK, how does my solution stack up? You know, what, what Brett's talking about, you know, where there's kind of the do nothing competitor, right? There's, there's, we're not going to change. We're just going to ignore this. That might be a target customer that is more uninitiated, right? Um, into the problem, again, into the problem that you're trying to solve or the way that you're trying to solve it or the way that you're framing the problem. So uh, another useful, you know, kind of framework of understanding is, hey, is my target market that I'm going after more on the initiated side of the scale? They're aware of this problem. Uh, they're prioritizing this problem or are, are they uninitiated? Are they completely oblivious to this or are they just sort of accepting that like, yeah, this is the way it is. And I'm, I'm going to do it with something else because I, I have other things to worry about. So again, just kind of another uh, layer of analysis and, uh, and, and framework to go through. And then one other thing I'll mention on the, on specifically on the, on the B2C side is uh, you can feel like you want to get compelled to go after the group that's the biggest. So I, I'm going to go after the initiated or the uninitiated, uh, or I'm going to go after direct consultative or disruptive sales because one of those opens up a bigger pool of, of potential customers. And I understand like total addressable market and service obtainable market and all of that really important. You want to start with a big, big number so you can find a bigger, you know, kind of fractionalized number that becomes what you own. But 
Um, in the B2C space, there's this compelling idea that you just, in order to be successful, you have to have millions and millions of customers, right? Um, the truth of the matter is, is that you can have a very, very successful, very valuable business worth hundreds of millions of dollars in the direct consumer space, um, only selling to tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands max. So just because any of you out there that are focused on direct to consumer, don't think that what we're telling you means, okay, I just, I need to do this to go after the biggest part of the market. That's, that's a misnomer. I mean, it might be true. It might be that you want to target a really big denominator, a really big pool, but uh, don't get caught up in, in kind of the false law of big numbers. Sometimes small numbers are even better, even in the direct consumer space. Yeah, hundred percent. And Dennis, watch this. I'm going to tie it back to the last episode, back to, you know, the initiated versus uninitiated, why it's so important to get known, right? Get your brand, the value out there, how, you know, the, the, how, prospects are solving this problem, whether you're your solution or not, because then when it becomes time, you're dealing with more initiated people than, man, if you have to create awareness and help them understand what the problem is, you're working really, really, really hard to do that. And sometimes there's just no ways around it. You're going to have to fight that battle, but it comes back to, hey, how do the bigger universe, and I love your point, JC, on, you know, focus on some niches first, right? Riches in the niches, and you get really good in those certain areas and then, then you can expand. So um, anyway, thought you'd be happy to tie that back, Dennis. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And comedy, we'll call that a callback. Um, so riches in the niches. I love that. That's a great saying. <laughs> it's, so, um, it's so simple, but yet yeah, so powerful if you can execute it against it. So I also kind of want to like tie in like one last thing real quick. And although your product and service is great, and that differentiating factor from being able to n compete with other people is that you're also, you're selling yourself who you are as a person and that uh, development, like self-development is very important when you're trying to, you know, you know, move your business forward. Um, do, do you two agree or disagree with that? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, JC, I can see you nodding your head. So. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I would agree with that. I mean, I think, it's not always going to be the case, especially in, in the direct consumer space. You know, your personal brand may not be directly commingled with the product, although often that is the case. But yeah, as a general rule, whatever it is that you're selling, and by the way, you're not only selling your product, you could be selling yourself to investors, you could be selling yourself to you know, potential other partners and stakeholders and affiliate partners. Um, there's always a, a personal element to it, which um, for some entrepreneurs is a huge advantage, right? Because they have just this natural or innate ability to do that. For others, it's extremely daunting. I mean, I know entrepreneurs who, who dread the idea of having to kind of sell based on uh, their personal brand. They want the product or the service itself to stand alone, uh, and they don't want to be uh, built to that. Speaking from personal experience, just in my own companies, I can tell you this, uh, it's a great advantage. If, if, if you align it well, but there is a bottleneck. You don't want to become so beholden to kind of founder-driven sales that when it comes time to scale beyond that, um, that you can't or that you struggle with that. So, you know, embrace it, even if it's something that you're not comfortable with earlier on, embrace selling based on your personal brand, but have yourself an off-ramp to that. Doesn't mean that you'll ever get completely out of that, but you can't let the scalability of this thing be beholden because like we've talked about on previous episodes, if you do that, you're going to be working in your business way longer than you can start working on your business, right? So yeah. uh, don't be 
don't be this critical, you know, failure or success point in your business development process, because you're never going to be able to step away from it if that's the case. But that doesn't mean that you can't use your personal brand, especially earlier on, uh, to be able to close those first deals. Yeah, and interesting, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off that a little bit, because one of the things that I'm seeing in the B2B space uh, more and more is the, the, the necessity of tying your personal brand to the, the company you're building, right? The customers and prospects want to know the story. They want to know the why you started this this uh, this company or why you're solving this problem. And it's kind of got two two advantages of doing that. One is future employees you bring out; they have to be bought in right into the mission and the vision of why you're doing this. If they're not sold on the why you're doing this, there's no way they're going to be able to sell that or communicate that with with customers. And I'm just seeing, uh, I had a guest on the, the podcast, uh, Marty Sanchez, the rise of the inbound CEO. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, these personal and lifestyle brands, right? That the, the owner, the founder of the company. No, man, it's it's becoming a uh, commonplace in these high growth B2B companies. Whether So if you're not comfortable in front of the camera, that's okay. But you've got to get your point of view out there, either in written um interviews, however it is, it's, it's almost become the cost of doing business if you want to grow, because people do want to understand what your story is, all things being considered, they're going to buy Well, we talk about customer experience. So that's a whole different story, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to circle back on this sometime because I was wondering if it was, Hey, maybe just the folks that I'm interviewing that happens to be who they are and it's content, but no, I think it's it's beyond a, a coincidence that these high growth B2B companies are being built around the the founder's story or their mission of, of why they're doing it. So sorry, I took us off on a tangent a little bit there, but we should, at some point we should come back and, and dig into this. Excellent. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we should definitely uh, circle back to that at some point. So thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you. Uh definitely every single week. Uh, you guys are awesome. And uh, I appreciate you as well listening in on our episodes. So subscribe, like, send to your friends, send it to your mom, uh, to anybody. I don't care, but uh, just share. And uh, we'd love to get uh, your feedback as well. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. And everybody take care. Thanks guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks guys. Great weekend.